Over the next two episodes here, I'm going to be joined by two different college coaches from the Sacramento area to discuss what the Sacramento Kings need to do to improve their defense. Today, it's Jessup University's Lance Von Vogt right here on Locked on Kings. You are Locked on Kings, your daily Sacramento Kings podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it is that time, time for another episode of Locked on Kings. Hello and welcome into Locked on Kings, your podcast hub for Sacramento Kings coverage all offseason long. My name is Matt George. I have the privilege of being your host here. I'm a Sacramento sports reporter and producer for ABC 10 News. And today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code Locked On. That's prizepicks.com. Promo code locked on. Really excited about this episode today. Really excited about these next two episodes. I got two great guests for you. Again, solely focused on how the Sacramento Kings can improve and, and fix their defense a little bit while, for the most part, having the exact same core of players. Is it even possible with a roster that's this good offensively to develop into, they don't have to become a great defensive team, but even if they're just average to slightly above average, how much of a difference that could make for the Kings and their potential of not just winning in the regular season and winning a playoff series, but potentially turning into a championship contender. How can they do that? Well, of course, Mike Brown and his coaching staff know the answer to that question. And as much as I would love to, I can't always chat with them. But I can chat with local college coaches. So these next two episodes got two great coaches for you today. The first is is Lance Von Vogt, who actually, after 23 years as a, a college coach, just transitioned out of coaching and into an, a full-time administration role at Jessup University. He's the vice president uh, of Jessup Athletics after coaching there for uh, for many, many years. Lance uh, is, is a friend of mine because, for those of you who aren't familiar with Jessup University, that's my alma mater. That's where I went to school. Jessup University is a, uh, a private school in... Uh, in Rockland, California, about 25, 30 minutes, give or take traffic outside of, of Sacramento. But Lance is frequently at Kings games, very plugged into what the Kings do, has had a lot of success throughout his entire career coaching, but especially at Jessup. Uh, Jessup is transitioning now into the NCAA from the NAIA, which is tremendous for the school. Um, so being able to have Lance on and to talk basketball with him and, and to hear his thoughts on the Kings and Kings defensive and just his defensive philosophies uh, was really, really cool. And I think you're going to enjoy hearing from him too. So without uh, further ado, how do the Kings fix their defense? Let's talk to Jessup's Lance Von Vogt about it. How do the Sacramento Kings fix their defense? Well, I don't know. I, I'm not a basketball coach. I have ideas and philosophies that I think would work, but why not talk to some actual basketball coaches in the area who uh, who do know a thing or two about implementing solid defensive philosophies? So I am joined by a man who has coached college basketball for 23 years, recently transitioned at Jessup University, which this is special for me. That's my alma mater in Rockland, California, just about 25 minutes up the road from downtown Sacramento, where Mike Brown and the Kings are. But uh, Lance has now moved into the uh, vice president of athletics position as Jessup is going from the NAIA to NCAA Division II. We'll talk about that at some point in this podcast. But Lance Von Vogt, good friend of mine, 
Very, very successful head coach, especially in his time at Jessup's been a friend of mine for many, many years here on Locked on Kings. Lance, it's good to see you, my friend. Thanks for thanks for joining me. Hey, uh, Matt, uh, you know, our esteemed alumnus, uh, I appreciate you reaching out and having me on and, and love talking Kings, man. They've done some amazing things in recent years. Last year being uh, one where, you know, new new a, a new era was definitely launched. And you can see that uh, uh, we don't have to keep talking about, you know, the late 90s and early 2000s, we're, we're going to be able to, you know, talk about what we're doing in the 2020s with this team and this group of guys. So I'm excited about the Kings and what they're doing. So walk me through your defensive philosophies a little bit as a head coach. What in your mind is required to not just have a successful defense, but to build a successful defense? Well, first first thing that that it, it's it's a mindset, you know, and, and uh, there's a uh, there's there's certain guys you know that that have that mi- mindset you know and um, when 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 that becomes contagious and it's shared um, and there's a shared responsibility a collective responsibility of 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 uh, uh, stopping the opponent and, and putting that effort forth uh, it, it it's it can be something that builds on itself it can be synergistic um, if you got your brother's back and you're able to cover his mistakes it allows them to play more freely defensively on the ball. Um, and if, if guys are willing to make that extra effort, you know, you can't make a singular effort on a play. And uh, you, you've got to make multiple great efforts on a defensive possession. Uh, pace of play uh, in the NBA is at an all-time high. Uh, and, and pace of play, the, the Kings have thrived offensively off of pace of play. Conversely, it puts more pressure on your defense. There's more there's more uh, uh, possessions in a game that you have to defend. You're obviously expending more energy on offense and the number of transitions from defense to offense and offense to defense. So, you know, then you start talking about, you know, the appropriate amount of minutes for the right guys, the combinations of which guys are on the floor at the same time. Foul trouble can impact that. There's just a lot of factors that really go into being able to be uh, a terrific defensive team. Um, and I think that, you know, the, the first thing that the Kings did is, is they became great at offense, okay, which that makes your defense better in some ways, but at the same time, it also stresses it out a little bit because you're shooting quickly because you got talented scorers, which means you're transitioning back to defense very quickly as well. And you got to make sure that that transition defense is really good. And I think that if they can take a step forward and lead first with stopping ball, not giving up easy buckets, reducing turnovers so that empty offensive possessions don't lead to poor defensive possessions, then it gives them a chance to not only have a great offense, but then, you know, start with the defense that's set. It's much harder to score against a set defense than a transition defense. When you have a personnel like the Kings have, you've built a roster that has so many offensive strengths the way that they do. Does that... does that hinder what they can do on the defensive end of the floor? What I mean is if you have a roster that is so offensively strong, but there are question marks on the defensive end, can you leave the offense how it is and expect the same out of them offensively while kind of drilling into them this idea of how the Kings want to play team defense? Like, is that personnel capable of doing that? Yeah, and I think you got to do it on the edges, right? Um, again, playing with combinations of who plays at the same time uh, together on the floor, uh, and that's dependent upon opponent and the skill set and the, the tendencies of the opponent that you're playing. 
you know, a team that is, uh, you know, heavy with the driving, then, you know, you're, you're, you're going to have Mitchell in the game a little bit more, right. Because of, of his ability to, to guard the ball. If, if you've got, uh, you know, a team that, you know, really, really is focused on the three point shot, you know, you might be able to uh, uh, play around with the lineup a little bit more and just make sure that you have rebounding that, that guys that are tenacious on tracking down long rebounds, right. Uh, because closing out a possession is, is an art and you can get that first miss, but if you can't collect the rebound and and I think that we saw that in the playoffs a little bit um I thought that the Warriors uh with Kevon Looney um really they, they, the 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 Kings put out a great first effort and caused a lot of first misses mm. the problem was closing the possession down so they did a great job all the way up to the point where they were the shot went up it hits the rim, and now it's a 50-50 ball. Who's going to come down with it? And, and quite frankly, uh, you know, the, the Warriors did a better job of that. And ultimately, that gave them another shot to score. And, and then that's where, you know, the Kings defense broke down a little bit. So if, if you're able to take that same type of intensity that you saw in the, the Kings versus Warriors series and then finish the possession, so that's an incremental thing. Like, hey, we took a step forward, but we couldn't close down, close out the possession. So it, it might be a, a roster adjustment or it, it, it might be a technique thing. It might be uh, a coverage thing. It might be just an awareness of, of, of uh, making sure that you're dialed in all the way through the collection of the ball. Uh, but there's a lot of factors that could go into that. And, you know, I haven't watched the film and don't don't know the 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 you know what they have going on to the level of that staff but i can guarantee that mike brown and that staff are looking at exactly what needs to be done to take the defense from where it's at to the next level De'Aaron fox had an incredibly breakout year and a lot of people focus on his fourth quarter scoring winning clutch player of the year the offensive side of the ball but defensively he also had a breakout year on, on that end of the floor as well, becoming that kind of lockdown guy that would take on the, and he pointed this out multiple times. He was not afraid to take on guarding the best guard on the other team uh, at the end of a game. And that guard typically was not guarding him. And he'd be sure to point that out. There's this, I don't know if it's a universally accepted idea, but there's, there's this at least loose belief that really talented offensive players don't always or can't always give their all on the defensive end because of how much they're focused on the offensive end. Is that a myth, Lance? Like when you're someone like De'Aaron Fox, who on some nights might need to score 30 plus for the Kings to win, but also needs to play lockdown defense at the end of the game. Is that sustainable, you think? It is absolutely sustainable. And we've seen it from the best players in the history of the game, from Wilt Chamberlain to Michael Jordan to Kobe Bryant. Um, you know, I was just watching uh, some some different defensive clips over the last week. Um, and I'm talking about the guys that I just named and, and, and you know, Jordan and, and uh, Kobe are playing full court defense and they're getting down in a stance and are fighting through screens and they're averaging 37 points a game in a season or 32 points a game in a season and leading the league. Uh, they're MVPs. Uh, th th there's a thing called competitive spirit. And that's the great thing about uh, De'Aaron Fox is that he, he has a competitive spirit. Right. He also has something that like in defense, you got to have a short memory, just like talk about shooting, having a short memory. On defense, you have to have a short memory because this is the NBA. There's shot makers everywhere. You can play great defense and still get scored upon. And you, you got you can't let that get you down. So you got to show some mental toughness because if you're not mentally tough, your physical toughness is going to drop off. You know, Bobby Knight, you know, one of the greatest college coaches, 
that's coached the game used to always say that it was four parts mental, one part physical relative to your toughness. If there's five parts of toughness, four parts are mental, one part is physical. And so I believe that that mindset, competitive spirit, that mindset of mental toughness um, is, is, is critical to, to being where you need to be. In the NBA today, I'd say the third factor that is uh, super important would be uh, adaptability. You know, all the cross switches, uh, the, the, the more positions that you can guard well, the more versatile you are in your ability to defend, the better the better you're going to be as a team. Uh, and, and so as the Kings continue to develop, they got to develop that versatility to be able to not get caught in these cross matches that can be exploited uh, by the other team. You know, because in the NBA, there's no secrets. OK, there might be a secret in the first time through, but after they played you once or twice, there's no secrets. Once you get into a series and the playoffs and obviously the Kings are a playoff team, they have a chance to to go compete for an NBA championship, possibly with the roster that they put together. Now it's going to be about, hey, in a seven game series, are we able to do what we need to do? Because there's going to be no secrets. You can make fine adjustments, but it's going to be about who executes the best and how do you win four out of seven games so that you can move on to the next round. So I, I, I do I do think that uh, you can do it. It's not something, uh, but you, you got to train. You got to train your body. You got to be willing to sacrifice. Uh, you got to be willing to to put in the work in the weight room. You got to be willing to you know eat the right foods and and turn down the wrong foods. Um, you know all of those things are going to be a factor in whether or not you can do it successfully. Like I said at the top of the show, today's episode of the Locked on Kings podcast is brought to you by Price Picks. Price Picks is daily fantasy the way that it was meant to be played. The way it works from a, a basketball standpoint, right? They offer it for so many different sports, but we'll just talk about it from a basketball perspective. And you can do this right now with the WNBA. But when the NBA rolls back around, essentially you pick two to six players and if they will score more or less than their prize picks projection. You get that right, you could win up to 25 times your money. And you're not competing against other people. None of those sharks that are online making money off of uh, your hobbies, essentially. You're playing just against the prize picks projections. And they offer projections not just on basketball, like I mentioned. They offer projections for MLB baseball right now. When NFL football and college football begins, they have projections for that. They have projections even for like esports, soccer, combat sports like MMA or boxing. If you're interested in that, even European sports, they have so much there for you to enjoy. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. When you win, they offer safe and fast withdrawals. And Prize Picks is currently operational in over 30 states and in Canada. Download the Prize Picks app or go to PrizePicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive 100% instant deposit match up to $100. With promo code locked on don't forget that promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to 100 as you know the game today is very outside in as opposed to how it used to be but rim protection i still think plays a valuable part in the defense and rim protection is something that the kings have lacked they lacked last season they added nerland's noel but it's going to be in a very limited bench rotational role in my opinion he's certainly not going to come in and solve the rim protection problem for you not really as demontis sabonis's game but he's kind of that defensive anchor down low and i'm not just talking about shot blocking i'm talking about changing a shot when they're attacking the basket or changing shots in the paint in addition to good solid defensive rebounding what's your philosophy on on rim protection and how essential that is to a successful defense the nba is a different beast when it comes to rim protection and uh if you if you protect the rim at all cost uh there, there's the, the the rate of the number of three-point shooters and the number of three-point shooters that can shoot it well 
you're exposing uh, the one more pass that may lead to the one more pass, which is going to lead to a wide open spot up three. Okay. So uh, rim protection uh, is something that if, if you can find it, and when I say find it, you're going to get a unique guy, right? If you can go get a unique guy that's capable of protecting the rim uh, without having to sacrifice your whole defensive structure to do it, then then that's how you can kind of you can kind of win that. Otherwise, you you kind of have to do it. Um, I mean, smoke and mirrors a little bit. I mean, where's that rotation coming from and which guy you're leaving? And then you're going to take a risk. And if the other team has a non-shooter that's on the floor, understanding how to rotate off of the non-shooter to protect the rim and then guard the shooters and making sure that you have the basketball IQ and and, and it's been it's been repped enough and and you you've gone through that rotation enough that you recognize that number 4 is the non-shooter we're going to leave him open and when we rotate over to to protect the rim and when if you're going to rotate over they always say rotate early like you want to rotate early you rotate late it's it's these guys are too athletic too good uh, it's a foul or it's a bucket or it's an and one so you got to rotate early and if you do that you better know who you're leaving open right that's got to be drilled Guys have to have that IQ to be able to make that decision within a fraction of a second of I need to be covering this dude, not that dude. You brought up Davion Mitchell earlier. When you were recruiting, um, trying to add players to your college team, did you look specifically for that element that Davion possesses, which is he almost takes the majority of the pride of his game is on the defensive end. He's willing to to just kind of be that workhorse and take it personally. If he gets scored upon or someone tries to dribble past him, did you look for that specifically? Or did you look for players that had the potential to be solid defensive players while also offensively fitting the system that you wanted to run? Hey, I, I got to tell you that, you know, a couple of my favorite players that I coached um, here at Jessup that, you know, uh, were, were those guys. And, you know, a name that comes immediately to, to, to mind is Elijah Lewis. Yep. Uh, so Elijah Lewis is, is uh, you know, what people would call, you know, a, a limited offensive player. Uh, but, and when I, when, I, when I brought him in, I brought him in for his toughness, his defensive ability. And I thought, well, this guy's going to be a good reserve, right? You know, you maybe be an eighth man, ninth man, play, play some minutes and really give us some, some defensive presence on the perimeter a 94-foot guy, guy that's going to fight over screens, rebound well from the guard position. Uh, but I couldn't get the guy off the floor. And, you know, he was a junior college transfer for us, and he started for two years. And I, I literally could not use 25 to 30 minutes a game and would have played more if he didn't get in foul trouble. I don't think that the uh, the officials officiated him fairly. Um, but but that's a story for another podcast, Matt. Uh <laughs> But, but yeah, so I, I did look for those types of guys. And the amazing thing is those are types of guys that have the mindset that they're going to find a way on the floor and they're not given anything, but they bring that toughness. And, and I, I see that in Davion Mitchell and I see him making impact in the game. You know, pretty much every time he comes on there, his, his goal is to find a way to impact it. And sometimes it might be hitting a three-point shot. He's developed that. He's gotten better at that. Uh, but 90% of the time, it's going to be a toughness play. It's going to be a defensive rotation. It's going to be locking down the ball. It's going to be defending a perimeter shot. Um, it's going to be diving on the floor for for the ball, taking a charge. And uh, you you can't replace that. If, if you pull Davion Mitchell out, you lose toughness. You lose grit. You lose uh, that work ethic. Um, and that's really hard to replace. So I, I love what the Kings are doing with him. And, and, and I, I think that it can be contagious. And if other guys – bring that same mentality, then you can really get something special. 
So once training camp begins in September, if you were invited by Mike Brown and his coaching staff in, or you were just there as an advisor, or even just taking a look at everything, what would you suggest for the Sacramento Kings to do and work on in training camp to improve their defense? Or what would you expect to see from a coaching staff to help work on that defensive side for the Kings? First of all, I, I wouldn't be presumptuous enough to know to, what I could go in there to tell the, the reigning NBA coach of the year. So let's just put that out there right now. I would be there with the notepad taking notes so I can learn from the best in the business. Um, but, you know, I, what, what I would expect to do, see is, is, is a lot of things that were built off of communication. OK, because communication defensively and and, you know, one of the things the NBA does great is they mic their players and, and you get to hear some of the communication that's going on uh, during a possession, not only from the guys on the court, but the guys on the sideline. One of my favorite clips is, you know, Rajon Rondo when he was on the bench and injured and and and, uh, you know, he's he's orchestrating all of the different movements defensively when the, when they were defending in front of, you know, that bench. Um, it's, it's you know, it's a great YouTube clip just to show younger players how you can make an impact of the game, even if you're not sitting on the floor. So I would, I would imagine that it's going to be a lot of fundamental stuff. It's going to be a lot of uh, communication. There's going to be terminology. So they know what coverage they're in on, on which players, because, you know, there's certain guys you're chasing. There's certain guys you're fighting over. There's certain guys you're playing drop coverage, certain guys you're switching, depending on the skill set of the offensive player. So I'd see, I, I would imagine that we're talking about a lot of different drills, uh, on how to guard the ball screen because it is a ball screen heavy NBA, uh, and and out of that you're gonna you're gonna you know try to get some basic ethos and you're gonna know which players are good in which coverage sets. Mm -hmm. So then it's one of those things where, okay, do we play to our strengths or do we do try to take away theirs? And if you're playing to your strength and that takes away theirs, you're in a great position. You know mm -hmm. that you love those. Those are the, what we call you know basketball is a matchup game. Mm -hmm. When playing to your strength really hurts the other team and makes them play to their weakness and takes away their strength, you're going to, you're going to win nine times out of 10. It's the teams that when you're playing to your strength, it doesn't really affect them and they can still play to their strength. That those are, those are the chess matches. And uh, those are the ones that, that ha understanding whether, what you want to do, what do you want to accomplish? Like, do I want to place, like, I think you look at Sabonis, right? You talked about him being the, the defensive anchor. And against certain teams, you have to decide if we're going to place a bonus where we want to play him, or are we going to place a bonus to try to take away something that the other team is going to do, mm. which takes him out of his strong suit. That's that's a guessing game, mm. you know, and, and it might be right. You might choose something one night. It's right. You choose the same thing the next night. And it's wrong mm. because that's how good the players are in the NBA. I mean, these are the elite of the elite. Uh, so I, I would see fundamental stuff, coverages. I could see communication. I could see rotations talking about how do we play when we do a drop coverage? How do we play when we chase? You know, all those different types of coverages, what we're going to do. When you talk about communication, you want all five guys on the floor. And even like you mentioned with Rondo, guys on the bench that are properly communicating and are, and are effective communicators. But do you need that that? same way anchor communicator kind of captain on the floor to be directing that traffic or to be preaching that kind of accountability in the game itself? Or can you get away with five guys that just communicate well without anyone being really the main voice? 
Yeah, I think you can, I think you can do it. You know, there are lots of different ways to skin the cat. You know, but if it's collective responsibility and all five guys are communicating, uh, you know, effectively, then yeah, you, of course you can do that. Uh, you know, it is always good to have somebody who's ready to step up and stand apart and lead. Okay, and lift everybody else. We call that a compelled individual, somebody who's compelled for the defensive end. Um, you know, you don't want somebody who's compliant. They just do it just because. You know, uh, committed. That's good. You know, somebody who's committed to defense, that's fantastic. Somebody who's compelled for defense is amazing. Somebody who's, a, you know, cynical about defense and doesn't want to give the effort, you can't put them on the floor. I don't care how talented they are offensively. So, like, you know, if you have five compelled individuals out there, you don't have to have a singular guy. But normally, over the course of an 82-game season plus playoffs, uh, you, you got to have a heartbeat. So who's the heartbeat? Right. And, and and that heartbeat gets you through the tough times when it's the dog days, when you're playing a back to back and you're on your fifth game in eight days and you're on a road trip all the way on the East Coast and you're a Sacramento King. You know, and now you're playing and you just played Philly last night. Now you're playing in Boston, which is two of the better Eastern Conference teams. And you're on your fifth game in eight days. How do you bring the juice to defend Jason Tatum? How do you bring the juice to, to, to guard Jalen Brown? Um, on that night and communicate properly. So to me, I, I believe it's always better if you have somebody that's willing to, to be that heartbeat. Well, I'll tell you, it's really special to be able to to have a, a coach and a member of a, a different program to be able to take time away from their program to join you to talk Kings basketball. But it's also very special what's happening at Jessup University. Like I mentioned at the beginning, I take so much pride in what's happening there because that's where I got my start. Jessup believed in me enough to allow a freshman to broadcast games and uh, to, to get four years of experience through just my collegiate career there before going out into the working world. And that's helped me tremendously. Uh, so Jessup is, I'm, I'm very fond of and forever will be. So to see Jessup going from N or NAIA to NCAA Division II, the growth over the years uh, from the Cal Pack to the GSAC, now to the Pack West, like it's just been phenomenal to watch, phenomenal loosely to be a part of. Lance, you've been there through the majority of that journey as a basketball coach now into a full like administration role while you were balancing both worlds so tell us a little bit about what's happening at, at, at Jessup and uh, what the community should be paying attention to because we got a lot of good basketball outside of the Sacramento Kings college high school does not matter uh, in our area yeah it, it, it's been a truly amazing experience to be here and be on the ground floor and part of this maturation and you know the credit goes to the board of trustees who who saw a vision with with uh, athletics being able to be a front porch for the university so that we can grow this amazing university in the capital city in the capital region uh, so I'm grateful for that. Dr. John Jackson has provided the uh, leadership from the presidential side uh, and, and the resources, uh, working with our CFO on a daily basis to make sure that we're creating revenue, but also using the resources that they give us wisely uh, so that we can grow. Uh, you know, we were in the CalPAC uh, conference and moved into the GSAC, which is arguably the number one conference in the country for NAIA. We, uh, we grew to perform very well in that conference. We became a top five uh, men's basketball program. We were able to go compete um, in Kansas City for the national uh, uh, championships, you know, and, 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 and have some really nice runs. We've had a numerous All-Americans. We got multiple guys playing professional basketball that have come out of our Jessup program. And we're proud of that because we're, we're also growing great young men, you know, and it's, it's a wholesome uh, family fun. It's uh, respectful to your pocketbook. Uh, and uh, you got guys that play with passion and uh, truly care about uh, just representing well and, and giving everything they got. 
the value for what you receive when you come to a Jessup game is amazing. Um, and and we just, uh, you know, with, with uh, re, you know, relinquishing the whistle. And like I, I tell everybody, I hung it on the wall. I didn't throw it in the trash. So who knows if I'll ever put it back on again. But uh, to move into the vice president of athletics, you know, was something that was part of the, the, the planned transition to NCAA Division II. Uh, and uh, in that, uh, it, it, it's allowing us to grow the university responsibly and for us to continue to resource athletics in a way that it can support the, the rest of the university, be a part of that growth that the university is experiencing. Uh, it's amazing. We we did a we did a search, Matt. It's a pretty, you know, uh, to, 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 to take over the head coaching position at Jessup. And we had 150 candidates that put their name in the hat for that position. Uh, it was probably one of the more highly sought after positions in the country. And I believe it's because uh, we've been able to do things the right way. Um, and, and people around the country had, had paid attention to that. Um, you know, they, they knew that we were in the, the process of having an application for NCAA Division II, and uh, people wanted to be a part of uh, a program that was growing and being successful as they did it, doing it the right way. Um, in that, we landed, uh, to me, uh, one of the top young rising coaches in the country in Mark Darnell to take over the program and lead our program. And, um, you know, he'd be a great one for you to have on this podcast in the future as well. But but Coach Darnell, you know, spent uh, uh, seven or eight years with with uh, Jim Les between Bradley University and UC Davis. Uh, he spent uh, two years with uh, uh, Greg Klink at uh, Chico State and then two years up at Eastern Washington under Coach Rice and winning the championship last year with them. Uh, uh, he, he's a guy that um, wanted to get back to the Sacramento area and uh, he and his wife and his son, Nash, um, just amazing people. And I, I just can't wait to see what he's going to do with the program. And I think that the, the roster is looking really good for next year. And I believe that in our final competitive season in the NAIA, we have a chance to compete, compete well for conference and national championships. And I'm looking forward to see what he does with the team. A lot of great talent has come through whether it's being a part of Jessup Athletics teams or playing against Jessup Athletics teams in their time in the NAIA over the years. So the product is already there for people to pay attention to, whether you're into softball, you're into basketball, you're into baseball, all the soccer, like so many sports that, that Jessup uh, competes with and competes in. Track and field too, if you're into that, like one of the best uh, in the country in that sense. But making that jump to NCAA Division II, like what is your expectation now of not just the quality of talent that the Jessup is going to be facing, but the quality of athletes that are going to be choosing to be warriors and choosing to uh, to spend their careers at William Jessup? Uh, that's a great that's a great question, and and I believe that we've been recruiting um, at that level for for um, you know a number of years across the sports that have been performing really well. You named you know many of them. Volleyball just won a GSEC championship this past year. Uh, softball won one a year ago. Baseball's won a couple. Uh, you know, we're all aware of what basketball's done. Women's basketball has been to the national tournament, you know, multiple times. Uh, we've got uh, uh, cross country, um, uh, marathon national champions, track and field, all Americans uh, on an annual basis. So the, 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 the whole athletics program, I, I believe, has been working hard to recruit at that level. Uh, for a number of years, uh, the, the the consistency of the of the uh, opponents that we're going to have is going to be at a higher level. Uh, but I do believe that we're we're primed to do very well. We are excited about that the NCAA brings uh, you know more recognition. Um, a student athlete knows exactly who you are. 
Uh, you don't have to explain it to them. Uh, that adds value. Uh, and when they hear that you're NCAA, there's an immediate interest. They want to find out more about you. Whereas when you're in AI, you have a few things to overcome before they want to have that conversation. Uh, so I do believe that, uh, that accessibility is going to be good. What's going to be really key for us is that we continue to be very uh, smart in, in who we choose to recruit and making sure they fit our program, our university, um, and that we're not going to, you know, talent, talent's amazing. But we got to have talent well placed and talent with the right character and integrity for us to be for us to do well. So we're going to keep our eye on that on that as well. Finally, Lance, especially when it comes to men's and women's basketball, for some reason, you guys do a good job every single year of having a perfect, perfectly balanced schedule around Kings basketball. It always seems like Kings off night. Jessup's playing Jessup, uh, Jessup off night. Kings are playing. Just seems to work out that way. So. For basketball fans specifically, Kings basketball fans who I know spread out and started watching a little bit of Sac State basketball with Coach David Patrick, started watching UC Davis basketball with Coach Jim Less, why should they make uh, the 20-25 minute trip up to to watch a, a Thursday night doubleheader of men's and uh, women's basketball at, uh, at, at Warrior Arena? Uh, the first thing is, is that you're going to come in, you're going to have an amazing time. And uh, you're you're gonna you're gonna have a chance to see high level basketball that you didn't know existed. I, I can't tell you how many people have come into the gym, and then after the game, they they they'll mention or I'll get an email or I'll get something that just says, "I had no idea how talented your team was, the, your opponent was. I didn't know that the the level that you're competing at was so ridiculously good. We enjoyed it. Um, there's also the the proximity." You know, it's it's not a twenty thousand seat arena, right? You know, it's 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 fifteen hundred seats, and it's 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 a really great environment. It gets loud. Uh, you get students that are have their their faces painted, and and that that to me, you know, is is something worth getting off the couch for to come down to. And then, you know, again, I said it before, but I'll say it again. I mean, it's really easy on the pocketbook. I mean, I think we're charging twelve dollars a ticket. I am going to plug something right now, though, before we get off, Matt. Okay. Every year we, 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 uh, we uh, try to make sure that we're partnering with the local community and that we're giving back. Uh, uh, two years ago, we partnered with UC Davis on a, on a game where we raised money for the fire victims. Last year, we did Hoops for Heroes, uh, where we're working with uh, uh, veterans and veteran populations that were wounded uh, in, in war uh, while they served and they protected our rights and our freedoms. We're doing Hoops for Heroes again this year. And we're gonna we're gonna play against Oregon Institute of Technology, Oregon Tech, who's a multiple national title in AIA squad. Great team. They're coming down from Klamath Falls, um, and on November 11th, uh, 2 p.m., which is just before uh, uh, Memorial Day, uh, we are we are going to be playing our Hoops for Heroes game, and that's going to be an amazing opportunity for us to raise money uh, for cause that uh, everybody can get behind. Lastly, Lance, I know you, like you said, you hung up the whistle. You didn't, you didn't throw it out. You talked about the environment, which of course I'm sure you're still going to be a part of as, as the uh, vice president of uh, athletics. Where are you sitting though? Are you sitting just behind the bench close enough proximity? Or are you sitting in the back corner and observing? Like, can you, can you separate yourself that much from that bench? I got no clue. And uh, <laughs> Matt, I, I think when game one comes, I'm going to be a nervous ball of energy because I'm going to feel like I have no no ability to help you know the guys out and i'm just gonna have to sit back and watch mark do his thing and the guys do their thing um but uh i, I would imagine that i'll be standing up and uh off into the corner probably mm -hmm. like in game one 
but uh, but hopefully things will settle down as as we move forward, and, and I'll be able to find a place in the stands and and uh, a place where I can uh, watch the game without being too nervous. Well, it's going to be fun to watch the next uh, step in the evolution of Jessup Athletics, just like it's fun watching the next step in the evolution of the Kings. Hopefully better Kings defense. Lance, again, for you to take the time to to join me here to talk Kings basketball as well as your program, especially with everything going on right now with the uh, the transition. Uh, it really means a lot to me. Uh, you've been a great friend over the years, and it's so much fun to be able to do this and see how Jessup continues to grow. So thank you so much, and uh, we definitely have to do it again at some point. Absolutely. Uh, Matt, thanks for having me, and uh, go Warriors. Now, before you go yelling and booing and throwing tomatoes at Lance, understand the the Jessup Warriors. Jessup is the Warriors. So when he says go Warriors there at the end, he's talking about the Jessup Warriors, not the Golden State Warriors. I promise you, Lance is a Kings fan. Uh, Lance is very plugged into what the Kings are doing and um, and, and not the Golden State Warriors. Uh, so, so hold back your tomatoes, hold back your boos. I promise you it's the Jessup Warriors, not the Golden State Warriors that he's saying go, and, go Warriors to there at the end. But I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I hope you enjoyed uh, Lance's perspective. It's weird. I always want to call him Coach Von Vogt. I'm just going to continue to call him Coach Von Vogt, even if he's kind of hanging up the whistle, like he said there, uh, temporarily or for good. We don't know. But uh, And I encourage you to like, go and ches- uh, check out Jessup Athletics. Again, I'm, I'm from there. Um, that's my alma mater. They gave me an opportunity. So I have just so much loyalty and pride uh, in what they're doing for. So if nothing else, if you have a night off and just want to watch some hoops and the Kings aren't playing, go watch a Jetsup game, do it for me. And you might see me there. Cause I'm, I try and be there, uh, every, every once in a while for games too. So now I'm living a lot closer there. I moved back into the area. So I'm excited to go watch some, uh, some Jessup hoops more. And just just of athletics in general more. And also, if you're considering, if you're younger and considering, hey, where do I go to go to college and and spend my uh, college athletic career? Give it, give check out Jessup. Just just check it out. You might get hooked like I did. Uh, but big shout out to Jan, uh, to Lance for joining me here on Lockdown Kings. It was a real pleasure to have him on. That's part one. Part two tomorrow has my good friend. You've heard him on this podcast before. David Patrick, the head coach of Sac State men's basketball. He's also a close friend of Mike Brown, has spent time throughout his career coaching uh, big names in the NBA. Uh, so I'm very excited. He's at, We're actually catching him right before he leaves to be a coach in the FIBA uh, World Cup. Uh, not a head coach, but he's on a coaching staff, so we'll talk to him a little bit about that too. Of course, what they're doing at Sac State, and we'll get his thoughts, his philosophies on what the Kings can do to improve their defense. That's coming on tomorrow's episode of Locked on Kings, part two of this little short series. Really enjoying doing this. I hope you are enjoying it as well. I uh, can't wait to have you join me on the next episode. Until then, my name is Matt George. You have been listening to the Locked on Kings podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. 
Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.